Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. We'll be reading verses 14 through 28, a familiar passage I trust to us as the book of Joshua is coming to a close. Joshua chapter 24, we'll start at verse 14 and read through verse 28 this morning. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that are on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, Will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God? And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is, an, he is an holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he had done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have chosen you the Lord, to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods that are among you, and inclined your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, and it shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man into his inheritance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that is ours as your people, as your children, to gather in thy house to hear thy word. I pray, Father, asking that we would set aside the cares and the distractions of this world that so easily could draw us away from having you work in our hearts with your word. That we are, as believers, attentive to thy word and to thy working to conform us into the image of Christ. Help us, Father, as we consider the truths that are here, the examples that we have, that we may go forth serving you as they sought to serve you in their day. Truly, you are our God, and, Father, we are called upon to serve you. And I pray that we will do so. I pray for that soul that's here that may be lost. May you draw them unto thee this morning. May they know the forgiveness of sin, the peace that comes by knowing Christ is their Savior. Do that work in each heart, we pray. And we'll thank you for what you will accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.
we come to our passage this morning, looking at our, our text here, we are at the end of the life of Joshua. Uh, he's called them together to remind them of what God has done, where they're at, how God has provided. And uh, we see a time of, of consecration uh, in the Israelites as they are about to take residence completely, if you will, in the land. Uh, they've done their fighting. Uh, most, I say most, uh, may not be the true word there, but many of the people have been displaced. Uh, they have their places that they can move into, take their inheritance. It's been divided by their lots. They know their boundaries. And it's time to take in and settle in. And uh, so Joshua has called them to this consecration and service. And we must understand consecration embraces three things. Being, doing, and something that I often hear with it is suffering. It costs something to serve God. And not everyone is going to understand that. And so there is often, though we don't talk about it, an aspect to consecration and service which is suffering. It takes not just the mindset to say, yes, I'm going to serve God, but it also takes the willingness to realize there may come suffering as a result. I don't know how often you have opportunities to talk to missionaries, um, get to know them. I mean, I know we do know our missionaries, but to sit down kind of privately with them, read missionary biographies, but you find, particularly with missionaries, there's a lot of suffering in that they have family that tells them, I don't think you should go. Because you're leaving us. You're going to another part of the country. I mean, I didn't have anybody thankfully tell me that, but I did have people wonder why in the world I was leaving the southeast part of our country and moving to Washington State in the northwest corner. And they thought I was, we were living, going to a different country because they had never been up to Washington State before. And, but uh, that does come with it. And thankfully, my family were willing to let us go um, and say, you know what? We realize we're not going to see you that often. And uh, they didn't. They haven't. But they were willing to understand that. God had called us there and uh, willing to go where God would have us to go, doing what God would have us to do. Not everybody's going to understand that. And so is that, that aspect, even in the lowly parts of the world, even behind the scenes opportunities that we have, there is going to be some suffering. People aren't going to understand and uh, cause problems. So it's not just being and doing the, the, the good part, if you will. There is an aspect that suffering may indeed come. But we must be willing to be and to do and to suffer all that God requires. It covers our whole body, soul, and spirit. It's us completely willing to go forward. There is nothing held back. God requires it of us. Consecration must be made deliberately, without any reserve, and in reliance completely and unreservedly upon God and his enabling. It is one thing to say, I'm willing to go. It's another thing to actually go out and do it and seek God's strength. Um, I believe when I was here candidating, I told a little bit of my testimony of how God called me. Um, I would have been... Uh, like Brother Mark mentioned this morning, I would have been one of those teenagers who said, yes, I'm comfortable in the background. 
because I didn't like standing up in front of people. Um, I remember in, in college, freshman college, you have freshman speech. Small class of, I think there were maybe a dozen to 15 of us in, in that classroom setting. And you're only giving one minute speeches, two minute speeches, three minutes. I think the longest was maybe five. That's not a long time to be in front of people. And uh, I remember struggling trying to work through those things, but I also remember a, a girl in my class that literally her hands were shaking at her side. Her face was flushed. I almost expected to see her just fall over in a dead faint. And not that I was looking at her bad side, but I realized, God, I'm not like that person. And I wasn't being proud about it, but I was, I was taking some comfort in knowing, okay, God's getting me through this. As scared as I am, I'm not that scared. Thank you, Lord. And I was praying for her, too. And she eventually was able to come overcome some of those things, but realizing God gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do. He does the enabling. And I am thankful for that because I realized I didn't have a lot of strong suits for public speaking. Nobody thought of me in junior high and high school. Of, yeah, he's the guy that stands up and wants to do the public speaking because that wasn't me. And as I fought with the Lord about that, I had all sorts of names of, of young men. God, call them. They're the, the leaders. They're the public speakers. Use them. I'll, like I said, I'll just fly the airplane and move them around from island to island as a missionary pilot. Or, you know, within a country. That's, that's what I thought. God said, no, you're going to be the one standing in the pulpit. And so we must be willing to do what God wants us to do, even if it seemingly takes us out of our comfort zone, because God knows what he wants. And it is his strength and enabling that allows us to do those things. If we do it in our strength, we're going to miserably fail. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning, is looking at that and seeing the passage here. We have a call to decision. As Joshua has gathered the people, he's called them. It's time to do some taking of stock, where we're at. We've done some fighting. We've seen God provide. Now it's time to set things in order. And in verse 15, we have that call to decision because we can't serve two masters. And I trust most of us understand that. We can't serve two masters. It doesn't work. There's only one master that is to be in our lives. And Joshua has called them to that. He said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. If you don't think it's right to serve the Lord, he wasn't giving them an excuse to do so, but he's bringing them to that decision-making process. Because you are going to choose. If you're not going to choose the Lord, then you're going to be choosing these other things. You're going to be looking at the gods that were before us before we crossed the Jordan. That's the flood that he's referring to. Or you're going to choose the gods of the Amorites in whose land we're at. But you're going to choose. Joshua is letting them know you are going to choose. Either you're going to choose to serve God, 
Are you going to revert back to the gods that we had in the past? Are you going to pick up the gods in the lands in whose land you dwell? And he lets them know where he is. A phrase that we often put up in our homes. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we're going to serve the Lord. Now he lets them know, there's no question, Joshua, where are you serving? I'm serving the Lord. The one who brought us here, the one who's called us here, the one who promised our ancestors this land. He's the one I'm serving. When we look at the life of Joshua, he certainly has a life full of examples of how God took care of him and his people. And it bolsters us. That's, that's part of what grows our faith to allow us to move forward with what, what God has for us to do. Is the examples of the past and how God has provided. It bolsters us, it strengthens us, and it prepares us for what God has yet more to do. But it is a call to decision. And we have those. And we do make decisions, folks. There is no straddling the fence. We do make decisions. We say yes or we say no. We don't sit there and say, I'm neutral in this. No, we're, we're making, we just made a decision. Well, I didn't make a decision. Well, yes, you did. So we need to realize that and be mindful of it, that we are called upon. And we will make those decisions. To halt between the opinions of self and God is to tarry upon the plane of destruction. Like Lot's wife. You see, we made a decision. So we need to be careful in how we make that decision. Is it towards God? Is it for God? Is it what God is desiring to work in our lives? We'll know it. We'll have the peace that comes from willingly giving ourselves to God. We'll know his peace. When we don't, we'll still have that unsettled feeling. We will still have those struggles. God wants us to that point of decision for him. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13 Christ is speaking, he says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If, ye there, if therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will, commit to you the tru- to, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And that truth holds true, not just mammon, money, and and things of this world, but Christ was teaching them about these things. If you're not faithful in the little things, you're not going to be faithful in the big things. If God can't trust us in taking care of the little things, then he's not going to trust us in the big things. We often focus on the big things, don't we? God's calling as far as what he wants me to do with my life, those big things, and we forget about the little things. It doesn't work that way. We usually find 
Who is the one that gets things done? The one that gets things done. The ones that we see that are at work, busy doing those things, accomplishing stuff, those are the ones that we usually look to then to get something done, isn't it? It's not so much the ones that are sitting around doing nothing, because they're just that. They're doing nothing. So why would I give something to them when they're not doing anything? If we're not faithful in the little things, we're not going to be faithful in the big things. And too oftentimes we focus on the big things and, and try to bargain with God. God, give me the big thing to do and I'll do it. Where we're leaving off the little things. How are we faithfully attending services? Are we faithfully giving to our church? Are we faithfully being a witness to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family? Well, I want to be a missionary. and go, Well, are we being a missionary at home? Are we doing the work that God's called us to do in the little things, because that prepares us for the other. We must understand and ultimately submit and serve God. As I would tell folks, and I will be saying it here as well, God is consecrating us. He is sanctifying us. He is making us Christ-like. Whether we like it or not, what is the end result to the believer? Where is our abiding place forever? It is in God's presence in heaven. What will you look like in heaven? What kind of body will you have in heaven? You will have a body like Christ. The work that God started the moment of our salvation will be complete then. We will be like Christ. The sanctifying process will be complete. The question is, are we going along for the ride, enjoying it in this life? Wanting to be conformed to the image of Christ? Wanting to be consecrated, living for him? Or is he dragging us <laughs> along the path to get there because... That's the end result, is being like Christ. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So the end result is Christ-likeness. And he's wanting to do a work now in our lives while we have an opportunity to show Christ to our fellow believers, to a lost and dying world. So the question is, are we enjoying the transformative process And I say enjoy, you know, taking the rough edges off of us is not necessarily a joyous process, but it's a necessary one. And it does give us the peaceable fruit of righteousness, to kind of paraphrase the passage. But in the end, I have never heard anybody say, you know what, I regret having served and lived for God to the best of my abilities. I should have been more selfish. I should have done more of my own thing. I've not heard that of any senior saint, of anyone that I have been able to, to see before they passed away. I haven't heard anybody regret saying, you know, I live for the Lord. 
If anything is, I wish I could have lived for him more earlier in my life. I wish I could have lived for him more, not less. And so we have that decision to make, and we do call and are called upon to make that decision. And oftentimes it's not, it's not a one-time thing. We may have events in our lives where we can remember where I, sur- you know, I surrendered to preach. I remember that event. I remember that time in college. But there have been other ones along the way, too. Yes, I still need to surrender to preach, Lord. That was in 1980. It would be quite a while before I was in a pulpit preaching. Many opportunities along the way to say, you know what, let's get sidetracked. Satan will do what he can to get us sidetracked. When I surrendered to preach that freshman year in college, again, as I had noted back in, in my testimony, I had wanted to be a Navy fighter pilot. I had the Naval Academy's catalog when I was in junior high. I knew the major I wanted to take. I knew what I needed to do in high school when I got there, the courses I needed to take so that I could be as best prepared to go into the Naval Academy as I could. And as my junior and senior years came along, God was directing me elsewhere. I never went after endorsements for the Naval Academy. And after my first year in college, I had an an elderly gentleman in our church who had ties to Senator Jelsey Helms' office in Raleigh. That kind of dates me if you know Senator Jesse Helms. He was my senator back then and um, in North Carolina. And this man came to me and he said he knew of my interest. And he said, Jesse Helms is looking for someone to endorse into the Naval Academy. Do, do you want to go? No. God's not calling me down that road. But the opportunity was there. It was on a silver platter. Here's a man that wants to endorse a young man to go to the Naval Academy. That's not where God wants me. So those decisions, while we make them, they will be continued to be reinforced along the way. And be careful and watchful and follow through. Were the Israelites going to have an easy road after this dedication of themselves to service? We've just finished the book of Judges, which is the time period right after that. Did they do a good job being consecrated to the Lord in the following book? No. Were they tested? Yes. Sadly, we see them fail the test year after year, generation after generation. We need to be careful. There was a noble determination. As for me, 
It's my decision to make. It's not, I can't make it for others. You can't make it for others. We can't make it for our children. We can't make it for our parents. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He's the head of the home. He has the ability to, to set the tone and move forward. That's what God calls upon us to do, that noble determination, because we have a time when we're going to stand before God. Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 14, verse 12, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. It is a sobering thought. It is a humbling thought that we're going to stand before God one day, not give an account about our sins. That's been forgiven. That's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not for our sins that we're giving an account. It's for our life lived for him. How are we doing? There are going to be some embarrassments. Yes. I don't know a, a, a Christian in all of my life that would say, you know what, I'm really excited about standing before God and giving an account. I've given my life wholly to him every day since the day I trusted Christ, and I'm, I'm ready for that day. I've never heard a Christian say that. And if you have, I might really wonder about, you know, we might want to sit down and talk further with them because we all have issues. We've all had testings. We've all had our weaknesses rise up and overcome us. And we've had to come back to God and seek his forgiveness. Ask for his grace and strength. And then move forward for him. You know, our road, if, if we could map our Christian life as a road, it's not necessarily a perfectly straight road from the point of salvation to the point of death. It has veered back and forth as we've gotten off in the path a little bit, and then God's corrected us, and we've gotten back on that path again. We've gone through valleys, we've gone over hills, mountains. And so if there were some way to depict that path, it would be an interesting path to see. Going up and down and off to the side and back onto it. A life that we could, for the most part, I trust, say it was a life lived for God to the best of our abilities. We're not perfect but it's lived for him. A noble determination, a stirring reflection as they come to this point and this is offered now to them, the Israelites take time to reflect. Verses 16 through 18, that's them talking back to him saying, yes, we want to do this. We acknowledge what God did in the previous generation. This is... Yes, the 20-somethings that are now, you know, 40 years plus, so they're the 60-somethings that remember as children we were in the land of Egypt. Now we're grown. We remember those days. We remember what God did in Egypt. 
Others wouldn't because they have since been born into the land of into the Israelites within that time frame. But we do remember. And we saw how God was at work. We saw God take us out of the land of Egypt. We saw how he provided for us in those 40 years. We saw how he had worked and allowed us to conquer portions of this land as we have fought over these last few years. There is always a good time to look back and see God's providential provisions in meeting needs. There's nothing wrong with looking back. You know, I will often say, you know, we're, we're looking forward. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Yes. Our focus is heavenward. We've already seen that. You know, you say, Pastor, you preached on Colossians chapter 3, set your affections on things above. And yes. But there are times when it is called for that we can look back, but it's not to look back at the failures, it's to look back. What has God done? Look at how God has intervened. Look at how he has provided. And realize that's the same God that you're dedicating yourself afresh and new to today. And he will give us the strength and the enabling. I mean, we can't look back and see what God did in our salvation. The most momentous event in our life. As wonderful as it is to, you know, dedicate ourselves for Christian service, to dedicate ourselves to do what God wants us to do, and that could be a carpenter, that could be an electrician, that could be a plumber. That's just as high a holy calling as it is to be called to preach or be called to the mission field. It's doing what God wants us to do, and then doing it. But it is a joy to look back and see how God has provided and prepares us for what's ahead. And to joy and rejoice in those. To serve the Lord is to live for him. To trust him. He did that then. Look at what he can do now. He transformed us when we trusted Christ as our Savior. We who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive in Christ. We've been given a new life. Nothing is more dramatic in our lives than that event. To go from death to life. From an eternity spent in hell because our sins condemn us before a holy God to be able to stand before a holy God, robed in Christ's righteousness, and be called a child of God. Accepted in his presence. Christ being seen in us, because it is his life being lived out in us. Anything along the way is just, to me, kind of icing on the cake. Yes, it's transformative still in, in getting rid of the old and putting on the new, but that's child's play, if you will, to what God did when he saved us. He's the one that saved us. He can take care of these other things that come along the way. The standing up and 
and preaching in front of people, God can take care of that because it's his word being preached, not me. It's not my powers of persuasion. It's God using his word in the hearts of the listeners. Not me. But they look back and they see what God has done. And they realize, who better to serve than God? Look at what he's done for us in the past. And so I call on us. Let's look. What has God done for us in the past? He has brought us to this point. Now let's move forward. Say, but I don't know what's in front of us. You know what? I don't know either. We look at the world in front of us and we see how it is being shaped in a way that is just monstrous, to be quite honest. Hasn't taken God by surprise. He knows all about it. And he will give us the grace and strength to do what we're supposed to do. However monstrous society looks like in the days ahead. Say, but I'm fearful. Who's God? He's greater than anything the world has before us. And he'll bring us through. We need to look back at history. We can look through the scriptures and see there were times in the Israelites' lives that were just as bad as they are today, and God brought them through. If he did it for them, he'll do it for us. We're his people. We have the same promises that he's given to us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's a promise just as much for us, New Testament believers, as it was for the children of Israel. They have a solemn declaration in verse 19 as they come to Joshua. Yes, we're going to do this. And Joshua's, hang on here. Realize you're, you're looking at serving God. And he is a jealous God. You're the apple of his eye. He's a holy God. He is a jealous God. We have a God who loves us, folks. And he is concerned about the stands we take, the things that we do. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 23, a lengthy passage. But I want us to understand some things that are here as we consider this. Peter speaks of being a holy people because God is holy. He quotes from Leviticus. But I want us to look at that context. I mean, we can come to those verses where he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And again, he's quoting from Leviticus. That's what God told the Israelites. That's what God telling us as believers in our day. Say, so how in the world can I be consecrated? How can I be separated unto God? Because he's separated. He kind of gives us the why in the greater context. So let's look at that. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He kind of starts off with that. Get yourselves prepared. 
Christ is coming. Be ready, be prepared. How? As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Don't be like you were. Don't be like in your old life when you were lost. But as he which hath called you is holy, did God call us? But speaking of our salvation, yes, God called us. He who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of your conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. How can we be holy? Because God is holy. He's the one that does the I was going to say holifying, but, you know, he's the one that makes you holy. There, there's no word there to have, bring that out. You know, I guess somebody has to make some words up along the way. Why not me? But, you know, he's the one that makes us holy because he's holy. I can't do it. You can't do it. That's making ourselves Christ-like. Only God can do that. Let's continue. And if ye call on the Father, who, out of, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. See, Peter shows us, has declared for us, how is it that I can live holy? Because God himself saved me and is empowering me to be holy because he is holy. And our lives are reflective of that. We can be holy because God's holy. We can see Christ's likeness formed in us because it is Christ in us doing it. It's not us. Isn't that really rather liberating? I don't have to try to figure out how to make myself holy. I just need to be obedient to God. I just need to yield to him. Verses 20 and verse 21 and 22, there's a decided affirmation, even as... Joshua brings these things before them. They say, no, we are going to serve the Lord. We want to do that. This is the right thing to do. Verse 21, and the people said unto Joshua, nay, but we will serve the Lord. Yes, you've shown us this. You've helped us to understand the implications, the challenges that we face, and we're willing to face them because we know our God. There's an indispensable condition in verse 23. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. Paul would say it this way to the Ephesians, to the Colossians. Put off the old man, 
Put on the new. Put on Christ. Be determined about it. Be focused. Put on Christ. Say, well, how, what does that involve? Listening to the scriptures. Being changed moment by moment. Seeing Colossians and Ephesians worked out. Read that greater portion where he talks about putting on, putting off. There's a lot of things that God changes in the life of a believer that he's willing and able to do. Regardless of where we were when we trusted Christ, what stage in life we were in, God changes the heart. I remember when I was back in college working a job on a receiving dock. I worked for Graco Children's Products uh, in their shipping and receiving. And I would often come across, obviously, a lot of truck drivers. And I remember one of my fellow students from college, we were talking one day, and he asked me about, you know, what, what do you say when you hit your thumb with a hammer? Now, I knew what he was getting at. And I said, I say, ow! And it's usually pretty loud. And he said, you don't curse? I said, no. Those words aren't in my vocabulary anymore. I can't say that, that I've done that my whole life. I said, but you were saved as a teenage boy, as a junior high. Yes, I was. But I had a foul mouth away from my parents as a lost child. God helped remove those things by bringing in the right things. Focusing on reading the word of God, committing it to memory. Being mindful that when something like that happens, there's other words to put in their place. And then making those steps. God will help us. Because God wants to see the change continue to take place. He knows Christ needs to be seen in the world. And he is so desirous of seeing that happen in each of us. But we must take those steps to consecrate ourselves to it. God does not compel us to go against our will, but he just makes us willing to go. So many people think, well, why isn't God doing something? God is doing something. It's just, are we listening? Are we doing our part? Are we consecrated to living for him as he would have us live? Because if we're not, we're part of the problem. God wants us to live for him. To consecrate ourselves afresh and anew, we may do that often. But to live for him. To bring honor and glory to him and him alone. The Israelites did so. We read the rest of this book, the beginning of chapter uh, 1 of Judges. And indeed they did. They lived for God. But then there came a time when the generation 
turn their backs on God. Because each generation, each individual must purpose in their heart, as Daniel and his three friends did. If we do, we're doing what God wants us to do, regardless of what goes on around us. So may we afresh and anew call on God that we will serve him, serve him together as a church, living for him. God has a purpose and plan that he wants to accomplish for his glory with us. What all that is going to entail, I don't know. But I am so looking forward to serving the Lord together and seeing what he will do in us and through us as we commit ourselves to him and what he would have us to do. And there will come a day when we can look back and we, I trust, will rejoice at what God has done as we have sought to serve him together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for thy word. We thank you for the truths that are here, the example that has been given. I do ask that we as a church, much like the Israelites, would commit ourselves afresh and anew to serving you. The days have some troubling aspects to them. Yet, Father, we're still called upon to serve you, to live for you. These days have not taken you by surprise. You've known all about them. You knew that each of us would be alive when these days took place. And you still have your purpose and plan that is still going forward. And because we're still here living in this world, we are still part of that purpose and plan. And you've called us to serve you. And our service isn't dependent upon the circumstances around us. Oftentimes it is because of those circumstances we're to serve you. We are to be salt and light in this world. So, Father, I pray that we would, like Joshua and these people of old, Commit ourselves to serving you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As the Israelites said, nay, but we will serve the Lord. May we do the same in our day. We will serve you. We will live for you. We will love you. We will love one another as you have called us to do. We will bring honor and glory to you and you alone. We leave the results to you. You call upon us to water. You call upon us to sow the seed. You are the Lord of the harvest. May we do our part. May we be able to look back down the road and rejoice at what you have done. Because we have remained faithful in serving you. Do that work in each of our hearts. Where sin is there, may we confess it before thee. Where we have maybe grown a little careless, may you bolster our faith. May you gird up our loins that we may go forth for you. 
Minister and meet needs, we pray at this time in Jesus' name. Amen.